If you are a businesswoman working to amplify your six and seven figure business from success to significance, then you know it's not just about the right strategies or the right tactics. It's more and more about high caliber people around you, your team, your collaborators, and advisors that can open doors for you and widen your reach. Welcome to your Circle of Influence podcast with your hosts, Dr. Monica Ogando and Amy Walker. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of your Circle of Influence podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Monica Ogando. And I'm Amy Walker. We are delighted that you are here. And this is one of my favorite topics in all of life, second only to money. <laughs> that, that's a big claim right there. I know it. I know it. Number two. <laughs> yeah. So one of our, we're, we're working on our book, um, when women lead the seven principles of feminine leadership. And one of our principles is that authentic vulnerability is the beginning of change. And so today we're going to be talking about how harnessing that vulnerability can really truly be your superpower. Although mm-hmm. I will admit, Monica, if I could honestly pick any superpower I wanted, mm-hmm. it would be the ability to bend time. Ooh, so, yeah, I like that one. But I think you can yeah. with vulnerability because I think vulnerability is a, um, it is an accelerant to intimacy and connection. Mm, I like it. Yeah. All right. So how do you define vulnerability? What does that look like to you? Well, our good friends at Merriam Webster define vulnerability as voluntarily putting yourself uh, open to harm. And oh, I vehemently disagree. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. I'm like, I'm not signing up for that voluntarily or involuntarily. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I like to say that vulnerability is um, sharing myself, revealing myself in such a way that somebody can witness my humanity. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't necessarily imply harm or weakness unless you think your humanity is weak or capable mm. of being harmed. That's, that's up to you and your assumptions. But vulnerability, I think, um, when you're vulnerable with me, you give me a chance to witness your humanity, the soft, mm-hmm. tender places that you may not necessarily walk around you know, broadcasting. Uh, but that are still a, a deep and, and, and connected part of you. And so by witnessing that and me sharing my vulnerability with you, we have an accelerated path to connection and intimacy. Yeah, to me, vulnerability is, um, it is embracing truth, embracing mm-hmm. what is. And I, for many years as a new entrepreneur, felt like I needed to lead with strength and I needed Mm -hmm. to lead with the parts that I had together, Mm -hmm. but the hiding of the parts that I didn't have together stopped me from feeling like a real person that people could actually connect with, that they wanted to be invested with. Mm -hmm. It was like, um, it was very unreciprocated relationships where the relationships were all about me doing for them, but I didn't have enough people that were supporting me. So there was a lot of give, but there was not a lot of receive. And I could look at that and think, you know, 
well, why don't I have more good people in my life? But the honesty is, why haven't I shown anybody the reality that I need something from anyone? How can they support me if I have it all together? There's no space for Mm -hmm. them. This is a really lonely journey to Mm -hmm. do it any other way. Yeah. And here's the thing about um, this, how we grapple with the idea that we need something. Mm -hmm. Usually the reason why we shy away from it is a trauma response. This is especially true of high achieving women. Somewhere in your zero to seven, from the time that you were either in your mama's womb all the way up to you were about seven years old, you learned that your needs were not going to be met, that your emotional needs were going to be ridiculed or minimized or pushed aside. If you were having, a, if you were having an, an angry episode, somebody told you to go to your room and don't come out until you're ready to have a conversation. <laughs> they didn't, emoting was looked mm-hmm. down upon. Um, not having the words to express what you were feeling or what you were experiencing was looked down upon. And so unless you could come up with some logical, um, cognitive, verbal way of communicating where you were, then an embodied response, such as thrusting about and throwing shit, (laughs) excuse me, uh, was looked down upon. And when you learned that, when you learned that my responses are not okay, I need to go isolate myself until I'm, you know, suitable for public consumption. Then -hmm. you grow up as an adult to hide and to isolate when you're going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. And you make it hard for people to love you and to witness you because when you needed someone to love you and to witness you, it was met with ridicule and isolation or minimization, et cetera, et cetera. Is that track you? Yeah. You know, it does because you know that I consider myself a private processor. Mm -hmm. And so, um, like I, I do dive into the feels. I don't try to avoid feeling them or make myself not feeling them, but I process how I feel alone. And then I come back to the people that I care about. And I'm like, by the way, this is what I just went through. And they're like, so did any, did you need help? Mm -hmm, (laughs) Right. Probably, but I took care of it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember us having a conversation once where I was, I don't know if you remember this. I was super mad at extended family members Mm -hmm. because of the way they were not showing up for their responsibilities in my grandmother's care. Yes. But I was really mad. A a disclaimer is that the way you're communicating the story now is exactly the way that you communicated being super mad. And I was like, that's not super mad. I know that's not a super mad tone. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I know editing, even as you were sharing it with me. And I was like, I don't know how to unleash that part mm-hmm. except in my privacy. Yeah. Like when I'm, when I'm in my private place of journaling and like really letting these people have right. it, right. that's where I know how to express it. I yeah. don't know how to express that with someone else. Well, you forgot, you forgot how to express it with someone else. That's probably true. Cause we've, we know how to do that from, I mean, you know, when we were little, like we don't give a damn who's listening. We're going to cry this out. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's ask the question then. Um, how do you open up all parts of you and make that a superpower? Right. Okay. So <laughs> if you were looking for a step-by-step formula, I ain't got it, but here's what has worked for me. And, and <clears throat> part of this is 
couched. I hate to sound clinical, but you know that I always talk about the, the, the duality of masculine and feminine energies, not, uh-huh. not men and women, but masculine and feminine energies and vulnerability and emotion and that whole like fluidity of our, of our emotional lives is what well, I'll consider that feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And then the masculine energy around it is like when you put words to it, when you try to reason yourself out of it, when you are trying to come up with a story that makes your emotions make sense, et cetera. And the masculine structures around that feminine experience is what protects it. Is, is those are the guardrails that allows it to run free. That's why the grace talks make so much sense because you want to put a container around your vent so that when you put a container around your vent, you can just let it rip, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to edit it. And so for me, how do you start practicing or harnessing vulnerability as your superpower is you, you have to be very clear about those masculine structures for yourself. For example, for me, one of the ways that I let my vulnerability run rampant is because I've already established a structure of trust inside of a relationship. Like with you, Amy, you've mm-hmm. heard me vent multiple times. I don't give a damn mm-hmm. if I'm going to blah, 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 blah. We've, we've done that. I've done that and I have no shame about it. I don't preface it and I don't epilogue it. And however, if I were to communicate the same thing with someone that I don't know right. or someone that I don't have that level of trust with, then there would be a lot of forward and epilogue and yeah, buts and disclaimers (laughs) because I'm trying to insert the trust right into, into that experience. So that's number one is, is you have to be very clear about what structures you already have in place. One of the structures is trust. Another um, structure is assume positive intent. Mm -hmm. There have been many times when a friend of mine has just unleashed the wrath that they've been holding on to, not necessarily to me or at me, um, not necessarily about me, I should say, but at me. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to take a pause and be like, okay, wait, they didn't ask me if I was a space for this. They just unleashed, mm-hmm. you know, and they just said some things that is like, it's, that's an ouchie for me, but mm-hmm. I'm going to assume positive intent. And all you're doing is just releasing what's inside of you. You don't mean to harm me. I'm going to assume that you don't mean to harm me. And if that ever comes into question, I will ask you, <laughs> mm-hmm. did you mean for that to be hurtful? Because then we have another conversation. Right. Right. But to but to assume positive intent really is for you. That's not for the other person. You're not being necessary. I mean, it it looks like you're being generous to the other person, but you're assuming positive intent for your own peace of mind so that Mm -hmm. you don't become, uh, you know, a defense mechanism walking around waiting for somebody to offend you so that you can just, you know, counterpunch. That's for your own peace. And then the third thing that I would say is to make powerful requests. Sometimes the powerful request is, I don't have the bandwidth right now to have Mm -hmm. this conversation, or I don't have the safety that I need to feel in order to have an honest, authentic conversation with you about this. This matters to me and you matter to me and I want this to be resolved. But right now it feels like it's too soon or this is too much or you're not safe or whatever, right? So with those three masculine structures in place, I think vulnerability eventually has no... um, danger of being Mm -hmm. exposed and that you can be responsible and discerning with your own vulnerability. Yeah. I will be vulnerable in saying that I'm in my vulnerability journey. I feel Mm. like I'm getting closer, but definitely not fully there. I've grown a lot in authenticity. Like, uh, someone 
I was with a client, we were doing a power day and I had rented a suite so that we would have a place to work. And then I just stayed there and we were working and, uh, I could tell she needed a break. And I said, do you want to, I was like, let's take a break. And she's like, yeah, let's go on a walk. And then I was like, or we could just lay on the bed. And she goes, that sounds great. And I'm really glad that I know you well enough to know that that's not creepy. And so I went and I put on my hair bonnet to protect my curls. And she was just laughing at me. And she's like, you do you really well. And that was like such a, a moment of, for me, recognizing that in that moment, it was all about what makes the most sense for us in this moment, instead of what are the constructs of what anyone thinks that we should be doing. Um, and it felt free. It felt good. So I feel like I've come a long way in authenticity with just really being comfortable in my own skin and wearing me well, but the vulnerability part, I'm still unlocking, um, learning to, I I've even, even, and I know my moment, it's not zero to seven though. If I'm being vulnerable, my moment is there was a time after my parents had gotten divorced. I was about 13. No, I was, I was older than that. I was like 14 and, uh, I had a friend die of cancer. It was the first mm -hmm. like death of anybody that I really knew that wasn't super old or un, you know, unrelated to me. And I asked my mom to show up and support me because I didn't know how to process it. Mm -hmm. And she came into town because by then my parents had divorced and I was living with my dad. She came into town and she supported everyone else, but me. Mm. And in that moment I was like, okay, so it doesn't even matter if I ask for what I need, mm. I'm not guaranteed to get it. And it hurt mm. more that she had come and then spent the whole time taking care of my littler siblings mm -hmm. than if she hadn't come at all and had said, I'm sorry, I can't make it mm -hmm. because I really needed it. Mm. And my dad was not a super emotionally available person. Like he's a very good person. Yeah. Um, you can talk about ideas with him, but he's not one that you're going to talk about feelings with. You know, like right. you can, you can go through all the philosophies of the world and man yeah. and God yeah. and all things mm -hmm. and politics and everything, but you're not going to talk about how you feel. Mm -hmm. So that was my moment when I, um, kind of closed off that vulnerability piece mm -hmm. of, I, I can talk about how I feel after I felt it, mm -hmm. but in the moment I got to just take care of me. And so mm -hmm. I can see where it started, but I I'm not at the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And this is where I think, um, you know, we did an, an earlier episode when we were talking about um, how friends transform you and your circle of influence. This is where we as adult women can remother each other, reparent each other and ourselves. There, I'll tell you an experience that I had. I was telling a friend of mine, um, some of you know already in this audience that I experienced childhood sexual abuse from the time that I was eight to about 10. And when I told my mother about that situation, she slapped me and she said, don't ever lie on your family like that again. You know, you're lying. And I had told her about it when it first started happening. And in my mind throughout the, you know, almost 40 years since that, I've thought, I wonder if my mom had believed me and advocated for me how much of those two years of sexual abuse would she have um, interrupted had she been my advocate, had she believed me? And, and I spent a lot of years in resentment of that. So I was telling my friend, uh, Natalie, big ups to Natalie. I was telling my friend Natalie about this. We were on a long road trip. You know how we do. 
Mm-hmm. And we were on a long road trip and I'm telling her the story. And as I'm telling her the story, I could see that Natalie's getting super agitated. She's like, what? And she did what? And she, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe what kind of mother. Blah, 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 blah. And she's just like livid. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the reasons why in the Grace Talk framework, one of the ways to soothe the ego is emotional intensity. Mm-hmm. because even though she didn't set my mother straight, I mean, at, at what point It's like, you know, 40 years after the fact, there's nothing to say. We, my mother and I have already healed this piece. Yeah. But the scar tissue is still there. And when I saw Natalie with that emotional intensity, it soothed me it, because it was like, that's the level of pestivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the level of anger, of indignation, of righteous anger that I wanted to see from my mother when I was eight years old that I never got. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, Natalie was remothering me in a way that I don't think she even knew that she was doing mm-hmm. until we talked about it later. And so th- this is the piece, and, I, and this is an invitation to you, Amy, and, and to all of you, our beloved audience, that there are people in your life whose greatest honor would be to serve the places in you that have been the least loved because they're equipped for it, because they're put me in coach. I Ooh, count myself as one of those. You're giving me the tears. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it's, it would be a great benefit to them to give you their healing medicine. And it would be a great benefit to you to let yourself be mothered or parented or loved or witnessed or supported in that way so that mm-hmm. you can create a new neural pathway in your brain that it is safe to be all of myself, including the soft, you know, unattended places. Yeah. Ooh, I feel that. I feel that. And you know what? Thinking about going through my whole being in existence, doing all of my silent suffering alone does not seem joyful in any way, shape or form, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think sometimes I've got a friend right now who's going through a divorce and just, she's struggling and, um, She's not, this is a thing I was so impressed by her. She's not a close friend of mine. She's an acquaintance of mine, Mm -hmm. but we were in a a place together and I looked at her and I knew in that moment that there Mm. was something she needed from me. And, um, and so I went up to her after the meeting and I was like, how are you? Yeah. Like for reals, how are you? And she did the, like, oh, I'm going to say everything's fine and roll my eyes for a minute. And I was like, no, really, how are you? And so we went out and we talked and she opened up and we have grown close Mm -hmm. as I've been able to support her through this. And I don't know why she felt like she needed to talk to me. And I don't know why I felt like I needed to talk to her other than we both have pieces of each other's puzzle at this moment in our lives. And how awesome is it that universe, God, whatever you want to call it for me, that's, that's heavenly father was like put into my heart. This sister of yours needs you right now. And at the same time, there are people who will show up that way for me when I'm in my moments. So I'm excited for it. Yes. And this is, do you remember the diamond and the dung exercise that I do with people? Yeah. This is the, but the listeners might not remember it. So you better tell them. Well, okay. So I just want you to imagine that you're in an, in an audience, like imagine that you're in an auditorium and that you're sitting, listening to us. We're, we're in the, your circle of influence stage with really plushy purple couches and you're on the only purple. Yes, of course it has to be. And that you stand up, everybody stands up and you're stretching out your arms, like in front of you. I want you to stretch out your arms in front of you and make fists 
And on your right fist, I want you to imagine that you're holding the smelliest, most disgusting piece of dung that you could ever pick. If you could even imagine yourself picking up a piece of dung, that's what you're holding in your right hand when you open up your fist. Now, if you underneath it all think that if you reveal yourself, people are going to find out what piece of shit you are. We're going to always walk around with that thing closed up. It's like, no, no, no. I can't let people see that. I can't mm-hmm. let people see how weak I am or how, you know, not together I am or whatever diminutive thing you can say of yourself. And then on the left fist, I want you to imagine that you're holding the most precious, resplendent, shiny, bright diamond. And if you were underneath it all thinking to yourself that you are that induplicable diamond, you couldn't wait to reveal it. You're like, look, look what God made with me. Look, look, right. You would be willing to share it. Now, if you spread your arms to touch the person next to you, and then you end up holding hands, you will notice that they're picking up your dung with their diamond Mm. and that you are picking up somebody else's dung with your diamond. And this is how we are a gift to one another mm-hmm. that it, I have to come from my best self in order to be available for you when you're at your lowest and you have to allow yourself to be open at your lowest so that I can serve you from my best self. I love it. Yeah. Also, if you kept your dung inside, you would literally die. <laughs> I mean, I know that's not as eloquent as what you were just talking that's about. That's called but... digestive poisoning. <laughs> yeah. So like you have to be willing to let that pass or you die. That's right. A slow, painful There's death. That. Oh, Amy with the pragmatic <laughs> lesson. <laughs> oh, I would love to hear from our listeners. How are you doing in the space of authentic vulnerability? Um, are you rocking it? Are you a work in progress? Is this a journey that you're maybe not quite sure you're ready to get started on, but at least now you're aware of it. Mm-hmm. And because I, I truly believe that we learn about things at the right time and things land for us at the right season when we're ready for it. So mm-hmm. maybe just maybe if you're hearing this conversation, it means that you are ready to uh, take a step forward into the pool of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're not ready to dive in yet, but you can mm-hmm. dip your feet in. Feel yeah, it. Feel See it. how it goes. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you everyone so much for being with us today. We appreciate you and we love hearing from you. So make sure you uh, leave us a comment. Um, we love reading your reviews of the podcast. Those are super fun. Super and fun. then come and connect with us online as well. I'm at Amy Walker coach. This is on Instagram and you can find me at Monica Ogando. Thank you everyone so much for being here. We can't wait to see you back next time. Thank you everybody. Thank you.